You're listening to 1001 Album Club, where each episode we discuss a different album from Robert Demery's book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. For this episode, we'll be talking about Chicago Transit Authority self-titled album. In the room, I have Rob Hello. and Ben. Hello. Chicago Transit Authority is a self-titled debut album from the Chicago-based rock band Chicago Transit Authority, later known as Chicago. It was released on April 28, 1969 on Columbia Records, and the producer was James William Guercio, and the genre is jazz rock, progressive rock. And from All Music Review, Lindsay Planner, few debut albums can boast as consistently solid an effort as the self-titled Chicago Transit Authority. Although this was ultimately the Septet's first national exposure, the group was far from the proverbial overnight sensation. Under the guise of the big thing, the group had been honing an eclectic blend of jazz, classical, and straight-ahead rock and roll in or around the Windy City for several years. In fairly short order, the band relocated to the West Coast and began woodshedding the material that would comprise this title. In three days in January, they unleashed a formidable and ultimately American musical experience. This included the unheralded synthesis of electric guitar whale and rock and roll to more deeply rooted jazz influences and arrangements. This approach economized the finest of what the band had to offer. On the one hand, listeners were presented with an incendiary rock and roll quartet arrangement by equally aggressive power brass trio. This fusion of rock and jazz would also yield some of of the most memorable songs, most notably, Does Anybody Really Know What Time It Is, Beginnings, and Questions 67 and 68. All right, what do we think of Chicago Transit Authority? This is a front-loaded record. Absolutely. And I agree with that. the front side of it is great. It's got some hot tracks. Oh, man, it's got some fucking sweet tracks These on These guys it. are players. They are definitely players. I would have fucking been beside myself to see these guys like on tour like at this point in time holy fucking shit that must have been a sight to see i did not know that peter satirica throw down on bass oh yeah dude <laughs> that guy's a I fucking maniac like, if you leave me now <laughs> you take away the greatest part of me <laughs> i never associated him with like yeah he was like the he was the la- last addition to the band because they realized that the other two were baritones and admit too much with the horns mm-hmm. and so they got peter satara to elevate the the singing but at the same time his bass work is oh it's great it's interesting a high-end vocals low-end instrument often i don't know why but often in music you hear the bass player's got the low voice in the band too like sly and the family stone oh that's true yeah. like it, give me a less claypool in the day of the week baby <laughs> that's a good point <laughs> <laughs> whatever that that, that range is <laughs> nah man i I, just reading up on them, like, the way that they, like, formed, like, there there was not supposed to be, like, any front dude. 
in this. Like the the whole thing was just like this like kind collective. of collective anarchist collective yeah. like of like handshake is all you need to be in this band and no one's the leader of this band so we just do do whatever we're gonna do and somehow like all of these really really great players all existed in chicago at the same time and we're like all right let's do it and then moved out to la and did this in what five days with three five- days <laughs> yeah <laughs> That's yeah so- and then released it the next day oh my god <laughs> Who, who's a guitarist in this? Terry Kath. That motherfucker is just murdering the guitar, he, man. He dropped... They opened for the Hendrix experience, and he dropped Hendrix's jaw. Yeah. Hendrix, Hen, Hendrix's opinion, Terry Kath, is the superior guitarist. Can I give you another quote off of that? Uh, Whiskey a Go-Go, 1969. Hendrix, like, walks up to the saxophone player. He's like... Or I guess whoever he the who one of the horn dudes had two sexes puts it in there and Hendrix walks up to him and goes, "Hey man, I just want you to know that your horn section was like a separate set of lungs for the band, and that guitarist was better than me." Yeah, <laughs> like and they were fucking like opening for him in Indianapolis and stuff, and yeah. like the band's like bring on or the the crowd's like bring on Hendrix and like. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> like, just like, shut the fuck up, we're trying to play! <laughs> <laughs> this band in its prime must have just been a thing to see. All of that said, I did not like most of the yeah. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely agree. Absolutely. We have the praise out of the way. Ah, uh, <laughs> shit. I, I think I agree fully with you. I'm like, this band is so tight. They're so freaking good at playing their instruments i don't know this is just like (laughs) too much for me i think it it goes in all directions at the same time and it's hard to quantify to bring to hone in what i would do differently or what's needed for me to appreciate it but it doesn't click with me there are so many things in it that like i actively like enjoy (laughs) it where did they lose you I mean, first song. They, 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 really? Yeah. <laughs> On the introduction, you're like, mm, like my, my, my thoughts were like, it's long-winded, but I get it. Like, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to like show that you are this big deal that like came into LA, like, and like this, this is what we do. Like, comes into LA and releases a double-length debut. <sighs> Four sides, man. And then a double-length sophomore release as well. They were into that. I don't understand. They went big in every stuff. <laughs> so you, you and I, I mean, everyone here, I think, is very impressed. Three days recording, mm-hmm. double album. Are you yeah. kidding me? It's it's almost as short as the Captain Beefheart record, right? Yeah, three days recording, double album with a seven-piece band. Yeah. How they, how do you do that? They but were, then why do you do that? I read that they were uh, so green as opposed to, like, they were a live band, but green recording. Uh, they showed up and just all set up and got ready to start recording with the first take, every one of them. He's like, right, <laughs> let's lay it down. And a one, two, three, four. He's like, no, no. Like, okay, first the drummer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, from the get-go, though, I felt like I, I just couldn't get behind the, like, progressive jazz rock. I loved the guitar. Like you're saying, the guitar playing was spot on. The horns when they were like hitting hitting those things were yeah, just like the song bam, that we're bam, listening bam, bam, right bam, now. Bam. Yeah, it like and really hits home in these in these parts within songs, but for some reason it's just like I can't 
listen to the entire song and have enjoyment throughout one song. And I was wondering... I felt the same way about Blood, Sweat, and Tears, though. I I couldn't get behind just... And and I've been thinking on that. Like, some of the shit that, like, I like that you haven't been enjoying, it might boil down to where where you lie on that jazz scale. I think so. Because I think that you like that jazz improv more so than this, like... And this is a fucking song. And, like, it's, like, these, like, horn arrangements, like, and no one's, like, it, it's not as, like, spontaneous and, like, interesting because it's 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 arranged. You would think that, but then when you get to something like James Brown, Live at the Apollo, I'm, like, right there. I'm, like, I huh. want those to well, be not, super tight that's horns. That's jazz. But it's very tight horn arrangements. Yeah. Soul music that has that tight beat, has excellent players. Uh, soul music is not progressive music, though. It, it, well, I'm sorry. I'm, I, uh, progressive, as in the I, I, genre, I, I know not progressive. I know what you're saying. Oy, yeah. Oh boy. No, you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's something about the soul music's pretty straightforward in its intentions. <laughs> I think it's just how the songs are presented, or something. I just I, I just don't know. Huh. I think that this band's secret weapon to reach people like me is a guy like James William Guercio and his razor blade at the tape station. He took some of these songs that are like seven or eight minutes long, and he's like, well, here is your three-minute pop song. That was a, That's the Chicago that I know, like listening to it on the radio. Like, does anybody really know what time it is? I know as a tight little number. Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing for like beginnings. I'm almost certain that was Guercio. Yeah. He's like, and yeah. snip, snip, here's your hit. I think kind of without him doing that, they're, they're, they're just releasing these double albums that are so bombastic and all over the place, and you, you, need, some, you need an editor. Chicago needs an editor in every way, in every shape and form. I agree. And I think but that... But here's the thing. I would counter that with live... I bet I would like this. Live? Oh, absolutely. Because you're, you're no, getting absolutely. The, the, That's the full experience. Apples and, and oranges. And it doesn't feel tedious. Yeah. To listen to. It feels like you're at a show, the players are, you know, they're improv, they're doing their own thing, they're keeping everything succinct and, and tight on on stage, but within the album context, it's, it's yeah, I get, I get, not bored, but it's almost like one of those things where so much is happening that you're, like, constantly distracted within each song, and you're like, oh, this part, now this, this, this part, and, and it doesn't lend itself to... Being something I, I like. I don't, right. know, I don't know how to say it. According to one of the nerds in this band, uh, they played basically every Peacenik rally like on the West Coast when they when they showed up. They weren't getting paid any money for doing that. And the, eventually that's why they went out of the studio and like did this thing. Uh, but because of all of that, they caught on really quickly with the college scene. And... According to him, and my air quotes go up, uh, like if you were a if you were a cool like uh, college kid, like this Chicago's first record was required listening. Like, oh, they get it. They're you know they're mm. they're, they're for can, the revolution. I can yeah. absolutely I mean, like, see this sort of like someday stuff. August 29, nineteen sixty eight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, literally for the revolution. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that's that's one of the you know songs that they they that they were like has to go on it yeah you know um 
And so when you say songs have to be on it, it has to be a double album, you know? When they're saying that this these songs are required... I would I argue... I don't that think it, that every song on this album no, is required. No, I don't think either. Yeah. But I think Chicago was strong-headed enough. Um, well, there's seven of them. They're intimidating. They're from <laughs> Chicago. <laughs> Talking about a another uh, no. This is the only Chicago record yes. in the fucking album. Yeah. Twenty five and six to four is not in this fucking no. record. <laughs> no, no, hey, Look, so motherfuckers! But, uh, God damn it, you hey, sons of bitches! But Rob, we've got Zeppelin's "Babe, I've Got to Leave You," and it's kind of the same song. But it's not the same. Like, you know it. How is this the only fucking Chicago? Oh, this oh, is you're, you're so cute. Oh when you're my angry. God! <laughs> Oh, this fucking book is just keeps, oh. it just keeps pulling the knife across <laughs> my fucking neck. I want more Chicago. I don't need more Chicago. I just want some penis of terror. If you leave me now, you take away the greatest part of me, Chicago. <laughs> I, I'd go with. I'd be the man who will fight for your honor. No thanks. Boo. Like a knight in shining armor <laughs> from a long time ago. So that stays say- in the podcast, by the by. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying it lost you at poem 58. Yeah. 58. Um, I mean, I didn't hate the uh, the prologue with the Someday in the Convention. Uh, liberation. <laughs> that oh, was dude. That was mean spirited. That was Chicago. uncalled for. Uncouth. I wrote down eleven minutes in. I hate this. I just wrote down you fucking assholes. <laughs> <laughs> it did feel like kind of a like a jerk move to put a fourteen minute song as the last song, and it also feels like an entire. I mean, it's an entire side. It's like here's what the band is summed up sort of in one song. It like, you know, it's bombastic at the end. It has a, you know, a real arc within the song. But it's like why do I need more of this? I just listened to your entire three sides. I've been listening to you for over an hour. Yeah. I don't need another 15 minutes of of just more of this. Right. I'm not at the concert where I can Stand up and be like, yeah, killing it at the end here. There is no encore. This yeah. is an album. However, yeah. if I was at that concert with that encore, I would have been like, ah, yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree. I probably would be too. So, Birch, you were telling me that Freeform Guitar, you didn't really hate. I didn't hate it. I actually gave them a, some props for doing some weird, you know, kind of experimental guitar craziness. I wouldn't have expected it from Chicago. No, I would not have expected I, Chicago to just do a study in tone. Yeah. You know? So I gave it props because I was just like, you know what? 
these guys are tight players. They're, you know, at least this presents a different idea within the album. Now, it, if I could cut it down to a single record, I, I that would be like one of the first just to get out of there. But if we could cut this down to a single record, it would be the first four songs. And maybe the convention stuff. Yeah. Um, I just wrote down next to Freeform Guitar, Hendrix, this is not. I stared into the abyss for six minutes and 50 seconds, and it stared right back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're talking about Freeform Guitar. It's a pretty good time to talk about Terry Kath. It is yeah. his birthday. Yeah. Terry Kath died uh, in 1978. On uh, accidentally on purpose. Mm. It's normally on purpose, though. Terry Kath had gotten way into handguns and gotten into the habit of carrying them with him at all times and then playing with them. And he was at a party of, I believe, uh, Rhodey's house. Mm -hmm. And it was not late in the evening. It was like 5 p.m. He had a 38 revolver, and it was empty. And he was, like, spinning it around his finger, and they put it to his temple and pull the trigger. And his friends were like, don't do that, Terry. Like, be careful. He's like, what? It's empty. You can see it's a revolver. And then he picked up, like, a, 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 like a semi-automatic handgun with, like, mm -hmm. with like a, a magazine clip. And he's like, look, look. And he takes out the magazine. He shows oh, him it's no. empty and then puts it back in. Of course there's one in the chamber. He shot himself point blank in the temple in front of all of his friends. Oh, my God. That's awful. Right? Wow. That's yeah. terrible. Yeah. And then from from there, that was, I think, five albums in. That was 78. Yeah. Yeah. And so after that, they were like, I don't know where what we do if we keep going on from here. Because he's saying, you know... He sang a little. Yeah, he sang a little, but he he also wrote some songs, and they were like, "Well, let's you know." They actually got a uh, got a call or met with Doc Severson from the Tonight Show, and he kind of uh, pushed them to continue on. Oh yeah, being a band, yeah, uh, which I thought was interesting. Well, you you know what you do after uh, Terry Katz blows his brains out, and it's 1978. You uh you put out a record that sells so poorly your label drops you, <laughs> and then your bass player goes solo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, which I read that Peter Cetera, if given the option again, he what he really wanted was what Phil Collins had with Genesis. Right. He, he wanted, wanted like he a wanted tour to on and then time off. Exactly. Yeah, and so did the band. Afterwards, they were like, this should have been way more amicable, and yeah. it stinks that it, it went down the way it did. But that documentary that I watched, like, Peter Cetera refused to be interviewed for it. <laughs> so did the, uh, the the manager. Like, yeah. um, So, I don't know. I can hear so much influence from that other bands picked up off of this record. Specifically this fucking record. But it is not a good record. <laughs> It is it is a good one quarter of a record, and then the rest of it is just a meandering piece of jam jazz prog nonsense. But the tightest yeah. meandering jam. Right. They meander as a single unit. Yeah. Yes. I, I wrote down <laughs> like I'm a marching band. I'm looking <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which is why I'm kind of into it. I think. Or a school of fish. The doesn't meander. They're not doing their job. That's what they're there for. They're to meander around the field while playing their instruments. While playing going... I did write down, I'm looking at you, Quicksilver Messenger Service, because I, I feel like this is what they wanted to do with their 
jamming nonsense. Mm-hmm. It, they wanted to be like this, like, you know, we're all tight players and we're a collective, right. but... They forgot the part where they get tight. They actually yes. play yeah. well and, and get yeah. tight and don't just like you, riff on one thing. You can tell that this band has been playing every night available for the last handful of years. Yep. It shows. Uh, how did you guys feel about the lyrics? Oh, you mean the Beatles lyrics? <laughs> <laughs> oh, fucking South California purples. I, I just got, I, I, I put, Jesus, this got rough. <laughs> fuck you, Beatles reference. <laughs> Seriously, though, fuck that Beatles reference. Yeah. I don't mind it when the Beatles do it. It's not even cold yet. You know, like, Beatles did that last year at this point. Like, yeah. I, it was, it's unnecessary, uncalled for, gaudy and gauche. Yeah. Is my takeaway of that. I I wanted to look it up because I I was trying to like just kind of analyze what was going on within the music and a lot of the lyrics just kind of feel like very there, like they have the music, completely tight players, musicians, but the lyrics sort of like come second to to everything they're doing musically. Yeah, would you agree with that? I yeah. would, and you know I can't really fault them for it. There's so yeah. much stuff going on musically. Yeah. We're like, well, I get, we got to sing something. <laughs> right. I'm not saying all the songs, you know, are are bad, but I just, when I was listening to it, I was like, this definitely feels like they wrote the music and then we're like, lyrics here. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, apparently, like, one of the dudes just had this, like, notebook full of songs, but the songs were just, like, lyric stuff. And I'm pretty sure they were just, like, either grabbing stuff out of that notebook or cutting and pasting yeah. stuff out of that notebook. Yeah. Uh, I do want to talk about the lyrics for Does Anybody Really Know What Time It Is? Sure. Okay. It's a dumb song. Yeah. <laughs> so the lyrics are, you know, does anybody... Re- he's like, some guy came up and asked me what time it was, and my reply was, does anybody really know what time it is? And it's like... You're just being a dick. You're being like, <laughs> yeah. that guy's like, yes, most people. Thanks for nothing. <laughs> He's like, I just want to get to the hospital to see my sick mother. And you're trying to have a, 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 I'm a convoluted... I'm trying to catch a bus, yeah. hippie. The, the yeah. bus stop is one block away. Yeah. I need to know if I need to sprint right now, you asshole. You have a fucking watch. Why are you being this way? Short answer, yes. <laughs> yes, it is. It is nine ten. <laughs> I just love that his examples for you know being like I want to tell you about I want to expand your mind by talking about time and spaces. Somebody asked me what time it was on the street, and I just gave them a, no. He a describes he describes the watch he's wearing. Yeah, and then goes into this shit. You fucking prick! <laughs> if you really, if you really don't care about the concept of time, why are you wearing a watch? <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna wax poetic.
you know, the class of 77 punk rock, like, uh, 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 an analogy that you always hear is, like, that, like, that early class of just, like, stripped down, like, from the garage rock and roll was, like, slaying the, the bloated dinosaur of, of modern rock in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, like, these overblown big bands just, like, lumbering around. And I include Chicago in that in that that bloated dinosaur of bands that punk rock took down, I didn't realize that, like, here we are, 1969, we're not even into the 70s yet, like, we're in, like, rock and roll's adolescence, and already, for, for better or for worse, Chicago already sounds like the big bloated dinosaur that will be taken down by punk rock in eight years. This was a shock to me, actually, because I'm not familiar with Chicago. I... Obviously, kind of being an 80s kid, I always heard their pop ballads, and right. I was like, Chicago sucks. They're right. awful. <laughs> There's nothing I want to be a part of. And, I mean, I've heard the classic rock, you know, uh, songs and everything. But going back to this album, I was like, oh, this is, you know, like, hippie. And then they were like, let's incorporate this sort of funk fusion jazz into our rock and roll kind of attitude. And I was like, cool. This yeah. is this is this is cool, and then a couple albums later, I'm not going to like anything. It's going to be, <laughs> seem like a completely different band to me. Right. Once they get into early '70s, I'm just going to have nothing to do with them. Uh, do you guys know how many original members logged uh, over 50 years with the group? Like how many? How many past members? Like, how many were there, essentially, from the beginning, who are still there? Are still there? Yeah. Uh, th- I'm guessing three. Four. Four? That's I think incredible. It's mostly though. horn section, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Horn section and Robert Lamb? Yep. You got it. Huh. Um, the only other fact I have is Color My World became a popular slow dance song at high school proms and university dances in the 19s, including weddings during the 1970s. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about this album? Man, there's so many parts to like, yet here I am not liking it. I think that, I think that, I think that, I've got to go neutral on it, I think. I don't know. There's more of it that I dislike than there is that I like, but the parts that I like, I think are really commendable. I'd, I'm so conflicted about Chicago. I want to not like them because they're nerds and they make big, overblown, bloated records of schmaltz. But they do it really well, and then like they kind of win me back. But then they go on for seventy-seven minutes and they lose me again. I, I, I get neutral, I guess. Yeah, I'm the same way. I feel so conflicted about them having an awesome guitar player, awesome players, yeah, good singing, not great lyrics, but the album itself. If if I were to judge this purely on an album, I'd probably just I'd probably just be negative on it because there's like one or two tracks that I would go back and listen to, and the rest of it's I don't know. I, would I just can't. I can't. I, Chicago is I why do it. why greatest hits exist. It's true. It's true. I would listen to a Chicago greatest hits before I would listen to to CTA. Yeah, but I would definitely see them live. Absolutely. Oh yeah. That, that is a, it's a whole different beast. Especially, well, this era, I would never go see past 
1975 Really? Even if, like, hey, whatever. Birch, they're playing at the boat this Saturday, here's a ticket. Birch, even if Peter Cetera was back in the band, Peter no. Cetera's going to be there. No, I don't have... I'm Producer James Williams Guercio is going to be With a free ticket, Birch. <laughs> nope. I, I and don't. a free meal at Paula Deen's luxury buffet if, on the boat. And an overnight stay. If we were going to hang out. In a non-smoking and... room. <laughs> Let me finish. <laughs> Why can't we bribe you to see Chicago? <laughs> if I could leave any time I wanted, sure. <laughs> oh. I saw a band. I like that you have standards. I saw a recent uh, band, official band photo of Chicago, all posed in front of the Chicago Bean, and there are at least two <laughs> non-original members of the band, like like noticeably younger guys, absolutely photoshopped in, like the lights all different on their faces. So <laughs> it wasn't just like a, a screenshot of that skeleton dance thing from the Disney uh, Disney no. cartoon. No, no, okay. it wasn't that. That's a shame. It's like it's like it's like four old dudes and then like three young guys and two young guys just like you can tell it's like a slightly different resolution on their face. Just get, just get together and take a picture. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll just go negative on this. Cause it's, negative? Holy smokes! <laughs> I just can't do it. I can't do it, Chicago. Yeah, I, I'm going to give you some of the... Some of your tracks are damn good, but yeah, just don't care. What do you think, Rob? Man, it's hard. Because right? uh, one, it's hard. one quarter of this four-sided record is really good. And then, like... A third of another one's really good, and at the end of the day, like, god damn it, I'm gonna give it a positive. Okay. <laughs> like, I, I, it has it, it has enough going for it from the beginning of the record that anyone who wants to stay after that first side, the you're into it, and if anyone's like well, that was okay, then they can jump ship. But no, I mean, it, it, in our streaming days, in the way that you can just listen to anything nowadays you ever want to listen to, yeah, listen to the fucking first, first five songs of this record and then just be happy that it existed because it, it, it's four singles, like, sitting right there. And you, we, we hardly get that many singles out of a single record. With uh, anything else that's going on, so no, cool. I I think it's cool. All right, next time we'll be talking about Fairport Convention, unhalf bricking. <laughs> Thanks, y'all.